Blue Moore. I'm the president of the Washington Research Council, and this is Policy Today. And we're very happy to have with us as a guest, Ian Toner, with Veris Investments in Seattle, who we're very proud to have as our keynote speaker for our annual dinner that's going to be May 23rd in Bellevue. Ian, welcome to Policy Today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my background is, um, as you can tell, I'm not from not from this state originally. I'm born born North and raised Carolina? in North Carolina. No, <laughs> uh, a little bit further east. Um, born and raised in Scotland. Lived a good part of my life in the UK. Had a, had a law degree and then ran away to the financial services industry, and um, have been doing a variety of things in in that industry on both sides of the Atlantic for the last. 25 years or so. Now Chief Investment Officer at Veris, we advise clients with about $340 billion of assets under advisement, um, mainly on the west coast of the U.S., but 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 all over the country. That is a significant uh, portfolio. So in that role, Ian, what are the what are the kind of things you do? Uh, and because you're, uh, you know, we've spoken before, uh, you're, you have an analytic mind, you have an analysis of things, both economic and political. How does that relate to, to what you do? So that, that's interesting. So, so really what we're trying to do is we try and put together a picture of what's going on around the world, both economic, politically, market-wise, and so on, and then work out where that could fail because no one's got a perfect view of the future. So it's always tempting to say, this is what's going to happen. I understand all of these facts. This is the this is the outcome. And of course, the outcome you create is always going to be biased by what you'd like to see, you know, things you don't know, and so on. So much more important, you spend a bit of time doing that, of course. You create your candidate view of what the world looks like, and then you throw things at it. And you spend a lot of time trying to stress test and risk test and, and create scenarios where what could go wrong? And, and, and we put a huge premium on getting our people around the table every day to ask those difficult questions and make us look stupid um, uh-huh. to, 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 to stress test the, the outcomes of the future. And then you build portfolios and give advice based on minimizing the opportunity of looking like an idiot and maximizing the opportunity of getting the outcomes you, you need as, a, as an owner of capital to typically to pay the benefits for pensioners, you know, driving buses or teachers or, you know, firefighters or, you know, the guys that that, that, that really are the beneficiaries of these large pension funds. Sure, sure. So what is the picture out there today? Um, well, uh, I think I think we need to be articulated about by the hour at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. We've, we've got some interesting things going on. Obviously, in the U.S., we have this that 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 the, the title election last year, the the, the the Trump presidency is is um, should we say. Proving more newsy than some presidencies. That may be a polite way of putting it, uh, without taking a side on the issue. Um, and it, it rhymes with what's gone on in the UK with the Brexit um, referendum and now a general election in the UK, which also impacts what's going on in the continent, um, where you have this grand experiment of European integration that has had very predictable consequences that it's created economic instability within mm-hmm. the single currency area. And then to cap that all off, you have China having having done the you know rapid growth thing now moving to a larger phase because it represents a very large part of global GDP growth. So it's moving into the front rank rather than being a developing rank. Um, and then you've had a deflationary thing going on for the last ten years, which has caused all kinds of other issues. So really. Um, it's almost the, the last time we saw this kind of set of things tied together was the, the latter part of the 19th century, where there's, there's really interesting parallels around that. So what that means is, uh, oh, and by the way, 
we have the baby boomers moving towards retirement and we have underfunding and pension funds and that means everyone needs to get um, you know higher return than they might have been able to get easily by looking at the market so um, so we don't sleep much I can uh, I can believe that so just quickly um, there was an election recently in France um, it looks like that those who are more in the center or more favorable toward the European integration in the EU are now a bit more ascendant. Uh, I mean, they've won the election in France. It's appearing that that's the case in Germany. Can you speak to that a little bit? I, I mean, is was are, are the alternatives just too scary for the general populace, or is there a, is the trend shifting? Yeah, we didn't elect the fascist. <laughs> is, is 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 good, right? Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's like saying, oh, "Well, I did turn up at school, but I got all D's." Huh. Um, so the, the the Macron election is is good in the sense that 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 there's parts of the support base of the Front National that are that are that that have um, uh, should we say some challenges, um, but it doesn't change the underlying problem. The underlying problem that's driven the problems in France, that's driven the problems across the continent of Europe, is really this drive towards integration to create a single political structure and a single economic structure, which means that, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a good old-fashioned British Eurosceptic, you know, us guys predicted 20 years ago when the euro was on the table as a, as a possibility that what you'd see would be massive economic dislocation. Mm-hmm. caused by a single currency across a, a, a continent that isn't a natural single currency area. So this push towards integration, which Macron represents, um, you know, it's better than electing you know, someone who's you know, aligned with some really very unpleasant parts of the polity. But it doesn't really solve the problem that there is a large part of the economy in France that is dislocated. There's a large part of the society that's dislocated from this globalist agenda um, and this integrationist agenda. And those people vote. They're part of the country. They're part of the polity. And they matter. And, and to some extent, one of the interesting parts of the discussion has been them mattering has been further off the table than the Brexit vote, the, the, the elections in France, the, the Trump vote, and so on and so forth. Indeed, going back to the Tea Party vote, probably, which was the, the, the initial bubblings of some of this, this component. Um, so it doesn't solve all the problems, but, but it's certainly better than the, the alternative. An interesting, an interesting thing to note, one of the things that struck me when I was watching the, the press conference that Macron did immediately after his election was behind him there were two flags the french flag and the european flag and the dark blue behind him was the exact same color as the european union flag and that that was just a coincidence i'm sure but it tells you the direction in which he you know that he's committed to and Mm -hmm. uh, completely honestly and completely appropriately but that direction european integration is both the the symptom and the cause Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Sure. So uh, you talk about uh, dislocated folks in those societies, and you just mentioned Mr. Trump, and we've just had an election where evidently there are, were a few of those folks in our society here in the United States. So what are your thoughts on that? Not in terms of what 
Donald will do tomorrow because we have no idea. But in terms of our society, how it relates to to globalization, how it relates to a structuring in our economy now, where we're uh, and particularly in this state where we're very dependent on globalization, and it's been a dang good thing for us in, in general. So speak Absolutely. to that a little bit. So, so, so the analogy, and I'll be talking a little about this next week. The analogy I think of is the is the rise of the conglomerate uh, in the second half of the twentieth century in the United States. States. So if you think of why did that happen, it happened because you had a you know a collection of smaller companies that were run somewhat inefficiently and bringing them together into a single corporate structure in a conglomerate allowed you to you know get better HR systems in place, raise money more cheaply, you know efficiency and, and so on. And that worked. And it worked for tax reasons and it worked for practical reasons. And so you you drove efficiencies by that and you improved the economy. And then over time, you'd done all the easy things and then you did the medium-sized, you know, slightly less easy deals and then you were left with the hard ones. And by the way, conglomerates caused their own problems of inefficiency and so on. So what happened? You begin to spin out companies from those conglomerates. Now, do, do those spin-outs mean that you go back to the inefficiencies of the companies that were, were bought to create the conglomerate? No. Those new companies were more efficient, and so by spinning them out, you actually created an additional raft of efficiencies. So, how does that apply to global trade? Over the last 50 years, what we've seen is the creation of increasingly complex, increasingly um, administrative structures for trade policy, um, NAFTA, TPP, you know, TTIP, all of these kinds of, um, you know, the WTO is not a rules light organization. Um, and by doing that, we've created huge benefits for all of the economies involved because of the benefits of comparative advantage and trade. The way that I think we might be beneficial in looking at this is to say, if we move to a more, okay, we accept that base and then we move to a more multilateral world where you have smaller groups of economies doing more focused, tailored deals together rather than creating these big 15, 20, 50, 100 country deals, you may be able to do drive an additional set of efficiencies. Now, you'll lose some things, as you always do, right? But I don't think necessarily that the outcome of this potential shift that we're seeing across the continent in Europe, we're seeing in the United Kingdom, we're seeing in the United States, of how we talk about trade policy. It's not a binary, we're moving to protectionism, no one will trade it with anyone. It's more, a, okay, we've, we've done that first heavy lift, we've got a lot of benefits, and by the way, we got some disadvantages, as you always do, nothing comes free. So maybe now the next step is a more focused, more directly optimized set of trade policies that fixes some of the problems we got from free trade, maybe gives up a few of the benefits from the approach that we got, but still moves the needle further in the helping the, 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 the populace and helping the economy direction. So it's not necessarily, you know, smooth holly. Uh, in our future, uh-huh. there may be some some benefits we get from this the, the, this tweak as well. Sure. Well, Ian, we are looking forward to hearing more about that and other observations you have on everything going on today. And again, that's going to be at uh, the Washington Research Council's annual dinner Tuesday, May twenty third, at the Maidenbauer Center in Bellevue. In Bellevue. Uh, the dinner starts at six thirty. We do have a reception prior to that at five thirty. Ian, thanks so much for uh, coming in today and uh, thank you very much for joining us thank you 
Policy Today is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.